Hello, good morning, friends and family. Welcome to New Life. My name is Elena. So good to be together. What a beautiful day we have today. Welcome to those of you who are joining us online, those out on the patio enjoying the sunshine. We are so glad that you are here too. If this is your first time here, we would love to meet you. We'd love to just answer any questions that you might have about New Life, about what we're about, how you can plug in. And if this is your first time here, you have come at a very great time to jump in because all of our fall stuff is kicking off in the next week or two, so it is a great time to plug in here to the family of New Life. If it's your first time here, you can stop by Connection Centrals. There's two in the lobby and one on the patio. And speaking of the patio, we have a very special day. Around here at New Life, if you turn 100, you get a cake. So anytime you turn 100, that's, that is an opportunity to eat some cake. And so our very own Ray, is turn, he turned 100 on Friday. He got baptized on his birthday, which was super awesome to be a part of. If you know Ray, you know he loves making earrings, so I've got my, my Ray Lloyd originals on today. So join us out on the patio for some cake and just wish Ray a happy birthday. Um, and so to prepare our hearts for worship this morning, we are going to read a verse, and it is Psalm 33:20. We put our hope in the Lord. He is our help and shield. In him our hearts rejoice, for we trust in his holy name. Let your unfailing love surround us. Lord, our hope is in you and you alone. Would you stand with me? Heavenly Father, it is our hope is in you and in you alone. Would your love surround us this morning? Would we feel it deep in our bones how much you love us? May our worship be an offering to you. In Jesus' name, amen.
His love changes everything. His love changes everything. Um, well, this morning, we're gonna share a new song with you, if that's okay, amen? And um, it's a song called God in Every Moment. It's a song that I wrote and it's, it's intended for us as the body of Christ to declare truth together corporately because there is something so powerful when we come into agreement with God's word and we declare it together. But it came out of this place of, man, I, would, I think we would all agree that as we look out at the world, things are a little crazy, right? And things are probably crazy in our own lives as well. And it can get a little overwhelming. But this is a song to remind us that like no matter what is going on on earth or in our lives, God is God in every moment. Like it's not a contest, right? Like nothing dethrones God. It's not this contest between the enemy and God. Like the reality is every single one of us, if we believe in Jesus, we live from a place of his victory. He's already won the battle and he's already won the war. And I think sometimes we operate out of fear and we wanna bring the kingdom of God to earth with our own strength and our own human hands. But God is so powerful and he's so able and he's so capable. And if we just lean into him and believe in his power, man, God is still doing things on the earth. He's still redeeming, he's restoring. He's got a lot of plans, not only for this earth, but for your life as well. So what I pray for this song is that we are all reminded that God is God in every moment and nothing will dethrone him. So as you catch it, you can sing it, um, but just maybe even just look at the lyrics and let them minister to you, I pray, as we declare the sovereignty of God this morning, amen? Amen, he's good.
for being the God in every moment, in the good moments, in our bad moments, you are there, God. And we just praise you this morning. We just bless your name, God. We just thank you for how you love us and that you have gone before us, God. We just give you that, God. This morning, I just, oh, I am so thankful for your grace, God. And um, just that you never give up on us, God. And that you have purpose and reason for us, God, here until we take our last breath, God. We just give you today, God, just blessings this morning. Jesus, in your name, amen. And you may have a seat. And oh, so yes, what a great, great morning of just praising God together. And um, I would like to invite the um, ushers forward to receive the offering and I don't know if you've ever had mornings like this where you think you know what you're going to say or what you're going to do, and then God just comes in and scrambles all that up. Has that ever happened to any of you? Because that is what's happened to me this morning. And uh, my name is Joanna, and I have attended New Life for over 20 years, and I have been on staff for a little over 10, which is just one, for me, one of the biggest miracles of my life. Like, I, if you talk to me for more than 10 minutes, you know that I just say that New life is the place where God chose to restore my life, and he can restore it anywhere, but for me, it's here, and it's personal, and um, about 15 years ago, life got really messy, as it does, right, and I would just come in and out of these doors to go to church, but I didn't talk to anybody. I really didn't think that I belonged, and um, a lot of times people ask me, you know, where is God in our pain? And for me, it is in the people that he sends to go through it with us, to love on us, to pray. And that's what happened to me. And it was belonging a little bit at a time, even when I thought I didn't. It was somebody asked me to clean the pews. Okay, I can do that little by little. I can wash the tablecloths. I can set tables, that kind of thing. I finally joined a women's Bible study on Thursdays. And it's really great because Becky Garachi's here today. And I sat at her table and everybody knew I sat as close to the door as possible because I could bolt at any moment. But it was those times where God just continued to chase after me and tell me that I belonged and that he loved me. And that is our heartbeat for all of you this morning, that you would know that, that you belong. And um, so I'm going to share, it's just so important, right, that we make those little steps. And sometimes we join something or try something and it doesn't work. I tried the cooking ministry because I thought, well, maybe God will teach me how to cook. No, <laughs> cooking ministry is not for me, but other things are. And so I just want to share three opportunities this morning to just get connected here and know that you belong and invite you to go out to the connection group, but connection counter. Um, but those are today, if you are new or you have not 
felt connected yet, I invite you to pizza with the pastor. It is after the 11 a.m. service. It's here in the lobby. We would love for you to come. Tonight is our men's gathering. I will not be there, but it'll be great. And last week, Katie kind of offered a challenge, but come, you are invited. And the next week at 6 p.m., we have our all-in rally. And whether you have come to one in the past or you haven't, all of you are invited. You online, you're invited. We would love for you to come. We are going to share testimonies of where God has just transformed lives and how he is here now and he loves you. So we want you to come to that rally. And again, we just want you to know that you are so loved by God and he has such plans for your life. So would you just take a moment and just prepare your heart for what God has for you? In the beginning, these words begin a grand narrative that spans creation, trials, and triumphs, revealing the intricate relationship between humanity and its creator. As Christians, we find our place within this narrative. In the rich tapestry of the Old Testament, we uncover the origins of our faith, the foundation on which Christianity stands. We're connected to the lineage of Abraham, guided by the wisdom of the prophets, and ultimately led to the fulfillment of God's promises in the New Testament. The Old Testament teaches us about obedience, faith, and redemption, inviting us to participate in a story that echoes through time, shaping our identity and purpose in the divine story of salvation. As we bear witness to what the Lord has done, may we remember that we've been adopted into this family. This is our story. Well, good morning, New Life. Are you ready? Well, you're getting ready to kick off a brand new series um, on the Old Testament. This is where we're going to anchor ourselves throughout the entirety of the fall. And so it's going to be just a journey through the Old Testament. Um, Obviously, um, it would take way longer than just the fall to cover every single aspect of the Old Testament. But our hope and our desire is that one, we would dig into God's word. Two, that we would maybe understand it more, th- more uh, properly than we ever have before. That it would begin to shape our lives as we begin to listen into what God wants to speak to us this fall season. Amen? Now, uh, if you can do me a favor, a little uh, you know, congregation participation. Did you get one of these when you walked in? Go ahead and raise it up if you got one of these. Sweet. Not many of you. All right. Some of you maybe already put it in your purse. All right. 
All right, so as you leave, you're gonna wanna make sure that you get one of these bookmarks, all right? These bookmarks are gonna be important. It, will, it has a um, QR code that takes you to a landing page that has study material that's gonna assist you as we go throughout this. How many people have um, ever been on the Bible Project website? Raise your hand. Awesome, so many of you are already familiar with the Bible Project. We're gonna be utilizing that as a resource. So if you have never been on the Bible Project website, um, that's actually where some of the, the stuff that you saw in that um, video came from, and so I wanna encourage you to make yourself familiar with that. Again, there's a QR code there. The second thing that I want you to make, to make you familiar with is the fact that uh, we have um, a book called The Invitation, and we have a New Life Journal available to you. And we really wanna encourage you, if you're in a Bible study, um, like a small group study or something like that, or you can do this on your own, or you can just grab a couple of your friends and start meeting at a coffee shop on a regular basis throughout the fall. But this um, book, The Invitation, is gonna help you journey through the Old Testament. I don't know about you, but can maybe we be really honest here today? How many people have read the Old Testament and gone, this is weird? <laughs> yeah, right, yeah. So like, so part of the reason it's weird, as we're going to talk about this morning, is the disconnect that we have uh, between where we live today and the world of the Old Testament. And so that's one of the reasons why it's weird. And yet, it's so vitally important for us to be familiar with the scriptures and to saturate ourselves with the word of God. And so we can't be afraid of it. We can't hold it at a distance. We can't push it to the side. We need to learn how to read it and read it well. All right, so that's gonna be really important. Also, there's a journal, again, um, that we have, and we wanna just encourage you, if you want that journal, it's a great way to keep track of what the Lord is teaching you along the way. And uh, so this is definitely gonna be um, a, a practice for us. We talk about rhythms and practices here at New Life, and we wanna encourage you to utilize this season as a rhythm and a practice to help shape your faith, to read God's word, to study in one of these devotionals, and to take notes. So if you don't have your phone, out or you don't have a, a pen or a paper or something to take notes on, you're going to want to take that out. There's note cards in the seat backs in front of you, so you're going to want to get those ready because there's going to be some things that for some of you, this is going to be review. For some of you, this is going to um, be new information, but what we want to do is get us all on the same page as we enter into this series, okay? So the very first memory I have of the Bible is actually singing a song. Maybe you guys sang this song also. The B-I-B-L-E, yes, that's the book for me. I stand alone on the word of God, the B-I-B-L-E. Oh my goodness, that's awful. <laughs> like, like that, that would have been pathetic back in Sunday school days. We're gonna try this one more time. The B-I-B-L-E, yes, that's the book for me. I stand alone on the word of God, the B-I-B-L-E. All right, much better, much better, much, much better, better. So here's the thing. All of us have encountered the Bible at some level. In fact, even if you're brand new, even if you're brand new here today, and you are just checking out Christianity, and you just have a, uh, a very nominal understanding of even what the Bible possibly is, at some point, you have interacted with the Bible. In fact, today, some of you are gonna go home and you're gonna watch your favorite NFL team and on that, uh, on that yeah, I hear, I hear some cheers. We're gonna try to make this real short. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but, 
But you're gonna go home and on somebody's eye black, there's gonna be a Bible reference on it that they put below their eyes. Or maybe you're gonna see, they'll span to the crowd and in the crowd, there'll be somebody with a Bible verse on their uh, poster or something of that nature. But somewhere along the way, you may have interacted with the Bible. For others, you grew up in a household where the Bible was very much a part of your life. For, for others, you grew up in a household where you had many Bibles, but nobody ever read them. Uh, for some of you, you grew up never having a Bible never hearing about a Bible or never reading the Bible but you heard other people quote the Bible to you about why you shouldn't be doing certain things and what you should be doing and all of that kind of stuff. So all of us have different kind of interactions with the Word of God and interactions with the Bible. So this is going to be, and and hear me introverts, I love you so much. I'm one of you. But this is going to be awkward for you because we're going to turn to the neighbors that are around us and I'll even even let you, um, you know, it You don't have to necessarily meet someone new, although if you do, introduce yourself, share with them your name. But we're gonna go through a couple of questions to get us thinking in this direction. And the questions we're gonna put up on the screen behind me, how or why do you read the Bible? And as you notice there, it says, to, um, to know what is right or wrong, to learn about historical people and events, to know how to be saved for advice or to improve myself, to know the will of God for my life. There might be other reasons why you have chosen to read the Bible or why your family read the Bible when you were growing up. Um, or maybe, again, what you're gonna share is that I've never had real interaction with the Bible. For those on the patio or online, you can interact there as well. But I want you to take about the next, you know, 60 seconds to two minutes, and you're gonna answer this question, and then I want you to move on to this one. Go, go to the next slide for me. For, and it says, what is your relationship with the Bible? <laughs> it's casual. It's casual, right? So it's casual means something like this. Like, you, you're the one that has, like, the Proverbs calendar that you flip. That's like, a, it's casual. Dating, maybe you're doing an early Bible study. You're just kind of feeling things out. In a relationship, you're one of those people, man, I am reading through the Bible on a regular basis every year. Kind of start one end, or I read through a particular book of the Bible and study it. It's complicated. Anybody in it, it's complicated? There might be some of you that are there. And uh, it's complicated. It can be, hey, you know what? The Bible was used in maybe some um, not-so-good ways in my life. It was used to, to bring fear into my life, or it, it was used to be abusive, and I'm trying to figure out what the Bible is. Or on a break, um, man, you started your plan in January, and by February, you were on a break with the Bible. So those two slides, go back to the first one. Sorry, go back to the first one. In that first one, you're going to answer that question of how or why um, we read the Bible. And then that second one, you're going to answer kind of what your relationship is like currently with the Bible. So take about the next three to five minutes, again, uh, online as well. And I want you to turn to the people around you and answer those questions. All right, here you go. Three, two, one, go.
Start taking about the next 60 seconds to wrap up. Next 60 seconds. Again, if you're online, go ahead and post maybe some of your thoughts in the chat or talk to the people that are around you at home. All right, if you have your Bibles, I want you to open up to the book of John. John's in the New Testament or the second half of the Bible. You're like, hold on, Pastor. I thought you said we were going to start with the Old Testament. Yes, well, you'll, you'll see where we're going here in a second. So open up to your book of John, which is the New Testament or the second half of the Bible. And what's interesting is think about how many people are gathered here and gathered on the patio and gathered online and so many people have had different interactions with the bible and different understandings of what the bible is and different understandings of how to how to read the bible and yet we gather in places like this and we're called to be one community with jesus as lord of of us and guiding and directing us and yet we have this fractured idea of what the bible is and so this morning i want to begin to take a look at what is the bible so that as we go through out the rest of the series that we begin to level set and begin to kind of get on the same page of what we are talking about when we're talking about the Old Testament, when we're talking about the Bible, and how we read it. And in the book of John, uh, chapter 5, verses 39 through 40, it's interesting. Jesus begins to speak about the scriptures, and he says something that's really important for us to understanding the entirety of the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. And yes, I said from Genesis to Revelation, because for some of us, when we think about Jesus, we only think about the New Testament. But when it comes to understanding Jesus, Jesus very specifically in this passage reminds us that the scriptures point towards him. So the entirety, Jesus is not reading the New Testament at this point. He is not referring to the New Testament at this point. What he's referring to is the Torah. What he's referring to is the Hebrew scriptures. What he's referring to is what every rabbinic student would have learned during his day. And so in John chapter five, verses 39 through 40, he's speaking to the Pharisees and he says this, and the Pharisees are religious experts in the law, religious experts in the scriptures, right? And he says, you search the scriptures because you think they give you eternal life. But the scriptures point to me. Yet you refuse to come and come to me to receive this life. Now, a couple of things about this passage. First of all, in Matthew chapter 5, verse 17, Jesus reminds us that he did not come to abolish the law, but to accomplish or fulfill the law. So he's not doing away with the Old Testament. Now, there are some traditions throughout church history that actually that was their goal. They wanted to do away with the Old Testament and just focus in on the New Testament. The problem with that is if you don't understand the Old Testament and how it points to Jesus and his coming kingdom, you'll never fully understand Jesus. 
And so you have to understand the Old Testament. You have to understand what the Old Testament is communicating and how God is revealing himself through the Old Testament so that you can more fully understand Jesus. And what we do often is we create a disconnect between the Old Testament and Jesus, or sometimes even we create a disconnect between the entirety of the Bible and Jesus. You're like, how do we actually do that? Well, here's one of the ways. We look at the Bible as simply just a book of rules to follow. And so what we do when we create a disconnect between what Scripture is revealing about Jesus and Jesus is that we make it just simply a moral code or a rule book. And so often, for many of us, that's how we have interacted with the Bible. The only way that we understand it is is that it simply tells me what I should do and what I shouldn't do. It tells me the moral code of how I should live my life. And so that's how we understand the Bible. And so we go to it to simply learn those things about what we should do or or shouldn't do. A second way that that we understand the Bible is that we look at it as self-help. We look at it as like, how can this be helpful to me? Or what's a special verse that's gonna help me reach my destiny or accomplish this problem or, or simply move forward in my life or have victory in this particular situation? And so we begin to search the scriptures, not for Jesus, but for something that's gonna help me or be a good word for me today. And and we are literally doing the same thing the Pharisees are doing. We're searching the scriptures, not for Jesus, but for ourselves. We're not looking at how Jesus is going to speak into our lives. We're just simply looking for a little help for today. Did you know that we can even love the Bible, but not Jesus? That there are people who know a lot about the Bible, who can quote the Bible, who, who simply can rattle off passage and verse and all kinds of things about the Bible, but they don't actually have a relationship with God. That there's individuals that are very studied in the word of God, but have not, never let the, let the spirit of God enter into their life and begin to shape their life. And so we're reminded through scripture that Jesus is the full revelation of God to us, revealed to us in the New Testament, revealed to us through the scriptures, revealed to us in the Old Testament, and, or pointed to uh, in the Old Testament and revealed most fully in the New Testament. And so like I said, we're gonna be using some other resources and one of those resources is the Bible Project. So for consistency's sake, I thought it'd be important to, to kind of point us towards a, a short definition that I think um, helps us in this end. And the short definition is simply this. The Bible is a library of books that tell one unified story that leads to Jesus. The Bible is a library of books that tell one unified story that leads to Jesus. Now, why is this particular definition important? Well, first of all, it says the Bible, and the Bible quite literally means the book. And the problem with that is that's how we treat the Bible as if it's just simply one book, but it's actually a collection of books that's put together into one book. It's a library of books put together into one book, pointing everything pointing towards Jesus. And this challenges our thinking because for some of you, and this is gonna blow some of your minds today, some of you are like, oh, I already knew that, no, no big deal. The Bible, guess what, did not drop out of the sky in 66 books bound in leather and written in KJV. <laughs> That's not how the Bible came to us. It came to us in letters, 
It came to us in books and poetry and all kinds of different things, all coming together. And the Holy Spirit, through God's inspiration and through the power of the Holy Spirit, guided together individuals to put together these 66 books as representation and revelation of who God is and what God is doing in this world. Pointing people towards Jesus. And so it's a library of books. And in order to understand that it's a library of books, you have to know what you're reading. Like, you wouldn't go into a library. Some of you are like, what's a library? Okay, um, let me back up. <laughs> you wouldn't go over to a book, in a, a book section in the bookstore or into a library or search on Google or however you find that or go to Audible. And you wouldn't go into the comic section expecting to read historical nonfiction, right? So like you wouldn't do that. You wouldn't go into the fairy tale section trying to read something that is, um, again, more historical. So we have to understand what we are reading so that we're able to uh, hear what God is trying to communicate to us. Did you know that the Bible is 43% narrative? Why? Because stories connect with people. Stories teach things to people. There's a way that you teach people how, a new language and how to live and how to act and how to be through the process of story. And sometimes that telling of the story is you're just incorporating them into everyday life. So for example, and I know this won't resonate with everybody, but I, it's my story and, and I, I'll share it from my perspective. Um, in 2004, we moved to Detroit, Michigan, which is about, uh, about an hour or so um, from Ann Arbor, Michigan, where the University of Michigan is. Now, I grew up in Columbus, Ohio. I am a diehard Ohio State Buckeye fan. I raised my kids an hour from the University of Michigan, our arch rivals. I had to tell the story of how great the Ohio State University was to my kids again and again so they wouldn't become Wolverine fans. <laughs> I had to dress them up every single Saturday and sit them in front of the TV. If you, if you had kids that were raised during my day, there was, this, there was this company that tried to tell you that your kids would be smarter if you got them these baby Bach videos and you put them on and it had like classical music and little toys that some of you know, like you're, you're older like me and you, you know what I'm talking about. They actually had one called Baby Buckeye. <laughs> I put that on for my kids while they sat in their, in their chair and they bounced in their chair and they, they played and they, they reminded us of how many national championships we had and how many Heismans there were and, and all this kind of stuff, Right? And so what I did is I told them the story of the Ohio State University. And can I tell you, this past Saturday, yesterday, it warmed my heart that my kids dressed up in their Buckeye gear, right? And so what I did is I taught them the language, I taught them the story, I taught them the history, I taught them all of those things so they would understand why we, the Hutzkos, are Buckeye fans and not Wolverine fans. Folks, that sounds humorous and funny, but that's actually how we should teach our kids the Bible. It is our story. It's not the story just of the Israelites. We have been, if you have placed your trust in Christ Jesus, you have been grafted into the story of Israel. It is your story. It is my story. And if all we do is teach our kids that the Bible is a rule book rather than a way of living and being and breathing and acting and eating and talking and just simply existing in this world, we've missed it. 
The Bible is designed to move us in this direction. That's why 43% of the Bible is narrative. Another 33%, another 33% is poetry. That's tough because I don't know about you, but did you take a English class where you had to read poetry in high school? Yeah. Some of you were awesome at that. Others were like, why are we learning this stuff? And, and so 33% of the Bible is actually poetry. Now, one of the cool things about poetry and art in general is that it shakes us awake from our normal ways of thinking. That's what poetry and art is designed to do. You're kind of going through life and you have your kind of well-worn past of the way you think about things and the way that you see things. And poetry, one of the reasons is it's kind of difficult to understand. So it slows us down enough to listen in to what God wants to communicate to us. And we have to learn and study and saturate ourselves in poetry. That's why one of the most beautiful things you can do is to go to the Psalms and read the Psalms, not just once and not just twice, but over and over and over again, allowing the Holy Spirit to reveal new insight and new revelation to you about who God is and who you are and what God is doing in this world. A third area, 24% of the Bible is made up of discourse. These are things that are going to challenge our thinking. It's more ways of saying, hey, um, here's one way of seeing it. Here's a new way of seeing it. And it's simply just giving us this uh, kind of new way of understanding life and changing our thinking. And then in the midst of these three big categories, you have history and poetry and additional poetry, um, apocalyptic literature, which is a whole nother segment that we don't even have today, which makes it really hard to read books like Daniel and the book of Revelation because these are difficult books to read. They were written with a particular um, framework called apocalyptic literature, and we don't have that in our current culture. We don't understand that in our current culture. So we have to learn about it in order to read these books Well, each book of the Bible conveys a truth, but each book of the Bible conveys a truth in a different way. Each book of the Bible conveys truth, but each book of the Bible conveys truth in a different way. And even how we understand truth is disconnected from how the Eastern folks understood truth. We understand truth that it has to be scientifically accurate and historically accurate, and that's how we understand truth. But you're reading a book from a narrative culture that would tell stories to communicate truth. For example, the story of the parable or the parable of the prodigal son. There is actually no evidence that the story of the prodigal son or the parable of the prodigal son is a historically accurate story. Like Jesus, uh, there's no evidence that Jesus is telling us about some specific person. Although I'm sure there's many historical um, like types of these stories that were happening in his particular community. But most likely, again, this is a parable, a made-up story to teach a spiritual truth. And so when we read the parable of the prodigal son, we learn about the truth of what it means to wander and the brokenness and destruction that wandering causes when we wander from God the Father. We also learn the, 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 the very real truth of how easy it is to become the older son and look at everybody else and be very, very judgmental and like, God, why would you have grace on these people? Don't you know what they did? I've been here the entire time. And so why, while the story may not be historically true, it's still true. It still teaches us truth. And again, that's a disconnect for us sometimes when it comes to understanding how we, in our 21st century minds, handle truth and how the Eastern um, thought uh, understood truth and how it began to unpack truth for God's people. 
Notice in the text that we were reading that it doesn't say the scriptures point to you. Let me say that again. Notice that it doesn't say the scriptures point to you. Can I critique our Western individualistic culture for just a moment and say that we have used the Bible in inappropriate ways when it all points back to me? And sometimes you get frustrated, and some of you may even be frustrated this morning that I'm not gonna have some like really great end of the, end of the, end of the uh, um, sermon, like something that's gonna help me out in my life. That's really clear. The scriptures point to Jesus. And when Jesus is king of our life, our life radically changes. But the scriptures are designed to to point to Jesus, to his kingdom, to the fact that he is Messiah or king and that he is returning. The scriptures point to Jesus. Everything from Genesis to Revelation points to the epicenter of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. And we can get into real trouble, and, and we do this sometimes. It's not that I don't think we can't learn from people in the Bible. We can, but we need to be careful setting up these people as heroes because most of them are just like you and I. They're deeply flawed. They're messed up. Go read in Genesis about Abraham. Bro is messy. Some of you are curious now. Good. Good. You should be curious, because this is our story. This is our family story. This is our new life story. This is our Christian capital C church story. And we need to anchor ourselves in this particular story. Now, if you flip forward in the New Testament, again, you're like, why are we still in the New Testament? Hold on, just, just stay with me. To 2 Timothy chapter 3, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, starting at, um, I'm sorry, starting at verse 15, we're going to start at verse 15, it says this, you have been taught, I want you to turn to somebody near you and say taught, that's going to be really key to our understanding of scripture, you have been taught the holy scriptures from childhood, and they have given you the wisdom to receive the salvation that comes by trusting in Christ Jesus. All scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are, doing, when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. Now, Let's go back to that word taught. I can't tell you how many times I've heard somebody say, I just read the Bible for what it is. Unfortunately, the Bible isn't designed for you just to read it for what it is. The Bible needs to be taught. It needs, you need to be taught how to read scripture. Now, does that mean that the Holy Spirit doesn't assist us in understanding and bringing revelation? Nope, not at all. The Holy Spirit is very much active in helping us understand what the scriptures are saying and what God is revealing. But to think that somehow you're going to sit down and just open up the book and not understand anything about the context or what God was saying in that particular day and read the Bible appropriately is pretty arrogant, to be honest. 
And so we should have humility when we come to the word and say, God, this is something that's difficult and challenging. And some of us are like, I just want the reading of the Bible to be easy. That's why you're on a break. <laughs> if you want the Bible to be easy, that's why you're on a break. The reading the Bible isn't easy, it's challenging. And it should be challenging. And it should rub us the wrong way. And it should have us ask questions about how we're living and who we are and who God is and what God is doing in this world. You don't read the Bible for what it is, just for what it is, because you have a lens that you're bringing when you read the Bible. And the Bible has a lens of how you're supposed to understand it. Sometimes my wife loves to go and get drinks like at like, I don't know, whether it's Starbucks or uh, Dutch Bros or even McDonald's or something like that. So if we're on a trip, sometimes we'll drive through, especially like, you know, McDonald's is like, I just need like, you know, need some caffeine to stay awake, need some Diet Coke, and she'll get, um, or iced tea, she'll get an iced tea usually. That's, that's kind of her go-to at McDonald's is an iced tea. Um, and then she puts a, like a gallon of sugar in it uh, <laughs> at, or whatever that pink stuff is, or I don't know, one of those. I don't, one of those goes in, yellow, I don't know. She always asks for those, right? And I get a Coke, and they both sit right next to us. And sometimes, because I'm driving and not really paying attention, I'll reach down, and I will grab a drink, thinking it's my Coke. I despise, I don't use that lightly, I despise iced tea. But every now and then, I pick up her iced tea, and I take a big old swig of that iced tea. And immediately, what do I know? I got disgusting iced tea. I did not get my Coke. The reason I know that is because I know what Coke is supposed to taste like, and unfortunately, I know what iced tea tastes like. Sometimes we go to the Bible... And we think we're reading history, but we're actually reading poetry. Sometimes we go to the Bible and we think that we're reading one thing, but we're actually reading something else. And we don't have that reaction. We don't go, oh, what, hold on. My, do I have the wrong thing? Do I have the wrong lens on? Do I have the wrong framework? Even more so, we have a blind spot we don't realize that when we're reading the Bible, you are bringing your own lens. And so you're like, I'm drinking Coke, but the Bible's like, nope, this is iced tea. And you don't even realize it. Do you realize that the Bible was written, again, in an Eastern world context, which is very different than our Western world individualistic context. It's very communal. Ours is very individualistic. Those are different. Do you read the Bible and realize that it's also very mystical in its understanding that quite literally both in the Old Testament and the New Testament, there's portions where people cast lots to understand what God is doing. How many of you went, have gone home and said, God, what are you doing? Let's roll some dice. That's different, right? That's weird to us. We don't fully understand those portions of scripture sometimes, if we don't understand that it was written and revealed, God was inspiring writers in a different uh, culture and context. It's a strange world. Turn to somebody and say, it's a strange world. If you don't understand it's a strange world, then you assume that it's just like your world. Guess what? It's not. It's not just like your world. 
And you, we so often try to bring our world into the Bible's world and we distort scripture. Sometimes the questions we are even asking are uh, 21st century questions that the Bible was never meant, to un- never meant to answer. And so we do that and we abuse the Bible in that particular way. Did you know that the Bible is written to a marginalized people? People who are in extreme poverty, people who are slaves, people who are marginalized in their culture, who don't have authority and don't have power in their particular culture. For us, most of us within our culture have a level of authority in our culture and a level of income in our culture and a level of comfort in our culture. The people of the Bible and the people that God is speaking to don't have that. In fact, the ones that do are the bad guys in the book. And so we find ourselves disconnected from this. Did you know that again, and I want to say this several times, that it's a story about a particular family? That every, this family comes from a promise that was made to Abraham. That we are grafted into or adopted into this family because of what Christ Jesus has done for us. So the story of Israel, the story of the Old Testament is not a story of another group of people. It's our people. It's our history. It's our family story. And yet it's so easy to read the Bible and think we're reading one thing and and actually reading another thing. Let me give you another example. Jeremiah 29, 11. Some of you have had this uh, tattooed on you. Don't, don't, don't get it removed. It's okay. Um, some of you have it like as post-it notes, any number of things. I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to. Plans to give you a. And if many of you know it. And many of you have looked at it, this as like, God, I'm going through a difficult time in my life. So I need you to prosper me. I need, I need this future. I, I need this direction. I need you to enter into my life. But did you know that this passage is actually given to the people of Israel after they were in uh, turmoil because of their own sin? They were in exile because of their own sin. They were causing their own problems. And they were experiencing the consequences of their sin and the consequences of exile. And the prophet Jeremiah comes along and reminds them, yes, your sin has screwed up your life. But God is faithful to his promises. And his plan is for your hope and your future. So even though you've jacked up your life, your sin and your decisions have messed up your life, God can take all of that and still give you a hope in the future. Now, still an incredible message, 100%, but different than, I got a destiny, God. I got a destiny that you owe me. I, you've got plans and hopes for my future, so give me my destiny and give me my riches and give me this and give me that. Way different than that. Much more humble posture to say, God, I'm a sinner in need of a savior. God, I'm broken. I've made a mess of my life. And to believe in hope that God is doing something new. So if we misunderstand what the Bible is, we will use it for something that it's not. 
The other portion of this passage says that, and, and again, I use the NLT specifically because a lot of times I like it because it gives um, a more um, modern uh, language for us to understand. But unfortunately, in this particular case, I, I think the, um, the attempt to make the language more accessible actually loses some of what is being communicated in, in 2 Timothy. Because it says what is right is what the scripture is communicating and what is wrong. And, and I like the idea of um, the, the scriptures reminding us um, how to live in righteousness, right? How to live in righteousness, how to be corrected, right? Those are all important things. In other translations, that's how it, how it speaks. And why I think it's important to understand it in that particular way is because the Bible is, again, guiding us towards an understanding of how to, how to live into life. I'm going I'm to read this because I, I want to make sure that I say it how, I, how I, I felt God was speaking it to me. Two, two thoughts. First one is this. Readers of the Bible belong to a different language group community and community. They are learning the ways of King Jesus and the language of the kingdom of heaven. So that's, that's step one. We need to understand that there's a new language that we have to learn. Uh, many of us are like, I'm a new creation, but you don't know how to talk yet, just like a baby. Right? So, we, and we're learning the language of the kingdom of heaven. And, and this second one is really, really key to me. It says, I, it, this is what the Lord spoke. Read the Bible in such a way that we see the world as God's world and with his intentions. Read the Bible in such a way that we understand this is, this is God's world. This is not America's world. This is not David's world. This is not the Hutzko family world. This is God's world. And so I want to read the Bible understanding this is God's world. And I want to read it with an understanding of what his intentions are in this world. So very quickly in the time that we have left, I want to walk through six acts. I want you to think of it. This is going to be a good lens for you to, 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 to utilize. Six acts that help you understand. You might want to get your phone out and you can take pictures up here um, to, to help you with this because there's a couple of reading assignments that I want to encourage you to do, all right? The first one is this. In act one, in the book of Genesis chapter one and two specifically, we have creation. And the key word that I want you to see on the screen is it is good. And I'm going to read these right from the screen. The world we find ourselves in today is not the world that God originally intended. Stop right there. That's really important for you to understand. The world we find ourselves in today is not the world that God originally intended. So when somebody says, where is God in this world? And they're wrestling with their faith. We point back to our story and say, guess what? This isn't the, the world that God originally intended. God's original creation is a place of wonder and goodness where we are in right relationship with God and right relationship with one another. And so we as the people of God shouldn't just read Genesis chapter one and two as something that's, hey, this is some nice scripture and we kind of memorized a couple of things. We should see this as our origin story. This is our family origin story. This is humanity's family origin story. It was good and filled with wonder and we were in right relationship with God and right relationship with one another. And it was awesome and good for two chapters. That's how we should understand the story of God. And we begin to make sense of the world because we don't stop there. We go into chapter three. So in chapter three, um, we, we have act two that begins where we have rebellion and we are naked and ashamed. So you go from goodness and wonder in chapters one and two to in chapter three, rebellion. Humans choose their own way over God's way. Can I get an amen there? That's us. That's us. This is not just the story of Adam and Eve. This is the story of every human. 
Every one of us has chosen our way over God's way. Every one of us has said, you know what, God? Yeah, I, I'm, I, don't, I don't understand you. I don't, I, I don't think like you do. I want my way. Now, I want to be God of this world, not you are God of this world. The Bible calls this sin when we choose our way over God's way. While humanity has lost its way, God does not give up on his creation. Can I get an amen and amen? <laughs> that is good news for us, right? Rather, God responds by reaching out to bring healing and reconciliation to, cre- to all of creation. Read Genesis chapter three. So again, homework. If you're not familiar with these portions of the Bible, I want you to read them because they're gonna be important to understanding um, where we're headed this fall and how we're gonna understand uh, the Old Testament as it points to Jesus. You know, two things that happen in Genesis chapter three happen in every one of our lives. The first one is this. We question God. We question God and we twist his truth, right? We question God and we twist his truth. That's how we begin to enter into sin. We go, God, did you really say, God, are you sure about that? God, that sounds heavy handed. So we question God and then we twist his fruit. Eve actually says, God said that we can not only just, we can't, we can't, eat of it, but we also can't touch it. Actually, if you go back to the original text, it doesn't say that. It says you can't eat it. God never said anything about touching it, but Eve extends this law so it feels like unbearable, like, God, how could I ever? I mean, I just bumped into it. What, are you gonna condemn me then? That's how we begin to think. And so we have this rebellion. Act three, Israel. I'll read this for us. God begins restoring his creation by calling forward Israel, a special and chosen people. Through Israel, God will begin to reveal himself as, and his ways to the world. God will bless Israel. Sounds good, doesn't it? Keep this in mind because this is what we need to start thinking about the church as we move forward. God will bless Israel so they can be a blessing to the world. That second part is really key. God will bless Israel. God will bless the church so that we can be a blessing to the world, all right? God invites us into his story, and in the story of Israel, we recognize our need for a savior and that we are shaped into the image, to use New Testament language, we as the church are shaped into the image of Jesus for the sake of others. That's why we are shaped into the image of Jesus, for the sake of other people, that they might know that they might be blessed, that they might come into God's family and see this story as their story as well. Act four, Jesus the Messiah. Jesus announces and reveals God's kingdom through his life, teachings, death, and resurrection. The cross is God's answer to sin, shame, and lostness of humanity and all creation. Jesus' resurrection announces God's victory over sin and death. The cross is the epicenter of the story because it's where God, who is sovereign, what does sovereign mean? He's the only one that, he can, that can do anything about sin. He's the only one that can deal with sin in this world. That's why God is sovereign. Nobody else, no politician's ever gonna deal with sin, no country's ever gonna deal with sin, no person's ever gonna deal with sin. Your, the perfect relationship or the perfect marriage or the perfect uh, new life into your family, a child being born, none of that is ever going to deal with sin. God is the only one that can deal with sin and he dealt with it through the cross of Christ. Okay? And that he also announces God's victory over sin and death through the resurrection. 
And so the resurrection becomes pivotal to the story of God. Act five, the church. God sends his followers into the world to live as a new creation community that reflects his character, plans, and purposes. The church goes out in the power of the Holy Spirit and gives witnesses to the reality of God's kingdom. I know that's really wordy, but here's what you don't see in there. God forgave us of our sins so we would be good people and not bad people. And yet that's how many of us read the scriptures and how many of us understand what it means to be Christian. No, you, when you receive Christ as Lord and Savior and you are filled with the Spirit, you walk in this world as a part of the new creation. You walk in this world under the authority of King Jesus. You walk in this world, and as Jesus reminds his disciples, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teaching them everything I have commanded you. We are a new community being shaped by Jesus as King. And so when we walk through this world, we should be evidence that Jesus is, that Jesus is real. We should be evidence that the cross is real. We should be evidence that the resurrection is real. In fact, when, when the church is incompetent, when the church is incompetent in being witnesses to Jesus, we reduce the witness and presence that Jesus is real in this world. We are his witnesses. And we should saturate ourselves with his word so we know how to live, not as good boys and girls. We should saturate ourselves in his word so we would know, how do I live as a citizen of this new creation, this new kingdom that God has established? What does it look like? What does that look like in the way that, that I think about things? What does it look like in the way that I see other people? What does it look like in the way that I think about uh, things like uh, sexuality? What does it look like in the ways that I think about this world? It's because I am a new creation and a citizen of a new kingdom, not because I'm good and you're bad, but because my eyes have been opened that there is King Jesus and he is the one that is gonna come and he is going to reign over all things. So I'm starting my citizenship early. I wanna be a part of what Jesus is doing, which leads to the, to the final portion, which is act six, new creation. One day, King Jesus will return and all creation will return to goodness and wholeness. Between now and then, the church remains faithful witnesses of God's kingdom, believing with confidence. Note that, believing with confidence. Why do we have confidence? Because we know who the king is and we know about his victory, we know about the cross, we know about the resurrection, and we know because we have trusted him and what he has done, we can trust him with what he is going to do. So we are witnesses of the hope of Jesus. So when we're walking around this world and people are looking at this world going, oh, this world is so awful, this world is so horrible, we say, just wait, guess what? My life was horrible, my life was a wreck, but because King Jesus took up residency in my life, my life is being restored and renewed. And guess what? Because I know that God is restoring my life, I believe that he's gonna restore all creation because he has promised that he would do that. We are people of hope. Witnesses of the kingdom believing with confidence, with confidence, with confidence that God's desired future is secured and will be wonderful. Amen? That's a good word. That's a good word. So we are a people of hope. And this fall, we are going to journey through the Old Testament, reminding ourselves throughout the Old Testament, one, that this is our story. Two, that it points us towards Jesus. 
three, that we have to saturate ourselves in the word of God so that we can be faithful witnesses of the kingdom of God. So wherever you are in your relationship status with the Bible and wherever you have been, I wanna encourage you this. Would you commit to this fall stepping into uh, the scriptures with us as a community? and studying the word of God, and studying where, how it points to Jesus, not just on Sundays, but throughout the week. Amen? Stand with me this morning. I know some of your games have already started. I thank you for your patience. <laughs> May God give your team favor, right? Thank you, thank you. As you go today, as you go today, God, I, I pray that we would Find ourselves walking in your ways. God, we lift up, I just was handed this. We lift up Gloria, long time new lifer. I pray, I pray that you would help her make a peaceful pass from this world to the next. Because we have hope that our future, when we place our trust in our lives in you, we have hope that it is good and wonderful. And so God, we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. As you go, be, go to be a faithful witness of Jesus Christ. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen and amen. Grace and peace. We'll see you next week.